1: From Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace.
2: You mentioned it earlier, you know what the standards of the U.S. State Department is. The country must demonstrate serious and sustained efforts to combat human trafficking, which is good in a lot of ways because the standard is not to eradicate human trafficking because I think that's next to impossible task. As long as there are vulnerable people out there, as long as there are bad people out there, human trafficking will exist. But what's important is that our efforts must be serious. They must be sustained, they must be continuous, they must be comprehensive. And that's what we aim to do.
3: Hello everyone! Salam, salam! Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. And I'm here with my co-host.
4: Hi, everybody. Assalamualaikum alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Ayessa, and I'm joining Amina today for She Talks Peace, another episode. More exciting conversation, Amina. How are you?
3: So far, so good, Ayessa. Has it been raining much in Kedah? Well, yeah, from Yesterday, uh, a, a bit, you know, every day
4: we, we do have some rains, yeah. but in the daytime, it's mostly still warm. We have sunshine. So I like it a lot <laughs> because it's I think good. it's less warmer as compared to the last month when we actually had a heat wave. Remember the heat wave uh, was experienced, you know, throughout our region from Thailand to Malaysia to Philippines. We were suffering from heat waves, especially during the time of Ramadan no but now uh, the weather is better it's nicer
3: yeah and i'm glad that in a small way i'm glad we're entering the wet season because the plants certainly need it but you know i'm just yes. keeping my fingers crossed that climate change isn't going to mean we're going to have really bad super Typhoons, but you that know, assumes, an, escape, yeah. an escape from the heat, Ayesa, is so welcome. Mm-hmm. Hey, but Ayesa, you know what is uh, another hot topic? Human trafficking. It has become such a hot topic in the news lately. Did you read about the the uh, overseas Filipino workers who filed a complaint mm-hmm. against Philippine envoy to Syria? claiming
4: abuse and neglect i think this is not the first time I Amina. Mean, uh, i remember you know like i think every five years or so we always you know read up all these uh, um, kinds of news you know from everywhere yeah i i think yeah it's really too bad that we have this serious survivors there are 25 Uh, of the 52 human trafficking victims that have been repatriated recently from Syria during the time of 2020 to 2021. And they came up with a 15-page long of complaint on what they experienced with the Philippine embassy there in Syria. So they said that the embassy staff confiscated their phones and sexually harassed them. And then some of them even said that they were sold to new employers while under the care of the embassy.
3: If that's true, that's really inhumane. But, you know, uh, I understand that the diplomat has denied all the allegations. I read this um, news article about that where he refuted the claim step by step. But, you know, justice We'll proceed and let's just hope that we get to the bottom of it because you really do need to protect our workers when they're abroad. But Ayesa, there's also good news from the Philippines. A few weeks ago, and this is, I, I know that sometimes we speak so badly about the Philippine police, but a few weeks ago, the Philippine police rescued over a thousand people, Ayesa, including Mm -hmm. foreigners who were trafficked Mm -hmm. uh, after that there was a a senate hearing that um, some human traffickers are using the pogo the philippine offshore gaming operators as so-called legal cover to perpetrate a cryptocurrency scam in the country but the good news is they're uncovering all of this and government is uh, taking action. Can you imagine the Philippine police rescuing over a thousand people? There were Malaysians there as well. It's in the, uh, you know, the freed the victims. Is this correct, I read that your Malaysian Home Minister, Dr. Seri Hamza Sainutin, said that Malaysia recorded 115 human trafficking cases in 2021 compared to only 17 in 2008. So trafficking is on the rise in Malaysia.
4: Given the, the location of Malaysia and the, the push and pull factor of migrants in Malaysia, yeah. I'm sure we do have you know, a lot of all these different types of human trafficking cases in the country and although malaysia's uh, immigration laws are already very strict you know but mm. still because of the push and pull factors you know people migrants you know uh, do try to you know to come to malaysia you know in the hope of getting jobs and better life and security you know, it it's really a difficult you know uh, task for for government and even for civil society groups i know a lot of ngos are also doing their best you know how to resolve these uh, human trafficking issues and migration in general in, in Malaysia.
3: Yeah, and um, it seems like the recent trafficking in persons report of the United States uh, State Department, where they rate, they rank uh, the the various uh, countries, no, uh, that are sources of um, of workers. It seems that Malaysia is at tier three. And isn't that the lowest? It's the lowest rank. Yes. What's going on with Malaysia? You're a rich country. You shouldn't be in tier three,
0: Malaysia. Well, not
4: necessarily. You no. Know, yeah, people are mistaken that Malaysia is a rich country. I mean, just like any developing country where all of us belong to in Southeast Asia yeah it it has a lot of challenges, as I said, you know um the migration issues is is really complex. yeah, well, we do have from time to time all those uh, like uh, cases, you know very uh, high intensity cases of trafficking uh, at the same time, um yeah it's it's uh, the government in fact Malaysia, you know compared to other countries, you know has been you know early on um, you know, doing this management through an institution called MAPO, for the Anti-Trafficking in Persons and Anti-Smuggling of Migrants Council. Yeah. And I think I remember doing a research about this and including MAPO as an effective really? institution, in fact, and this was like 13 years ago. So, you know, that time, you know, I, I could see that, you know, it's really an effective institution. And until now, it it works that way. And even in Mapo, although it's a government-led council, there are academics and NGO people that have been invited, you know, to be part of this, you know, problem-solving of trafficking cases. So it's more organized now. But then again, as I said, yeah, it's, I guess traffickers themselves, you know, who are now experts are also very creative in their ways. Just like today in terms of, cyber security uh, yeah.
3: scams,
4: which is actually yeah. a more important case for for many yeah. of us in Indonesia yeah. it, it's happening everywhere all these scams and on telephone yeah. on online yeah it's we really need to have a government who is always uh, well equipped and who is always you know um, on top of technology you know just like trafficking yeah. you know the traffickers technology is also getting more sophisticated
3: yeah, that's why I guess, uh, as a Filipino, <laughs> I'm so pleased that the Philippines has fully met the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking. The U.S. Trafficking in Persons Report of the United States for last year mm-hmm. put the Philippines at Tier one. Hooray! Yay!
4: Congratulations!
3: <laughs> According to the report, The government continued to demonstrate serious and sustained efforts during the reporting period, considering the impact of COVID-19 on its anti-trafficking capacity. Therefore, the Philippines remained on Tier 1. And then it says, these efforts included identifying more victims than in 2020 drafting standard operating procedures on the identification and monitoring of trafficking related corruption cases sentencing re- uh, nearly all traffickers to significant prison terms and creating an executive level department of migrant workers remember when we interviewed susan ople well she's the secretary of the newly created department of migrant uh, Workers, so isn't yeah, that's is it really a, a blessing? Oh, yeah, yeah. And isn't yes. it great, Ayesa, that our guest today is somebody who can tell us more about what the Philippine government is doing in in trafficking?
4: Yes, I Amina, mean, uh, uh, we are so lucky that today we are uh, joined by our special guest, who is um, the Department of Justice Undersecretary, uh, and her and his name is Nicholas T. Or, or shall we call him Yusek Nikki? Yusek Nikki has been a lecturer actually from the University uh, of the Philippines College of Law since 2010. Uh, first, he was a professorial lecturer there and eventually became part of the regular faculty and then he was previously director of the UP Law Center's Institute of Government and Law Reform. He was also founding partner in this law firm called Molo, Siyadutwasan P and Coloma Law Offices where he specializes in commercial law, special law, corporate law and labor law. So at present he is the DOJ undersecretary and is an executive of the Interagency Council Against Trafficking or cat. So I guess this is the equivalent of Malaysia's Mapung. Welcome yeah. to She Talks Peace, Yusek Nikki. How are you?
2: Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amina. Thank you, Dr. Ayasa. Thank you for inviting me to your program, She Talks Peace. I'd like to congratulate you, you know, on the on the breadth that your program has already attained. I, I heard earlier 96 countries or 94 countries?
3: 96 countries, Yusek Nikki. 96.
2: Oh, congratulations. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for giving me to speak to all your listeners.
3: Thanks, Yusek Nikki. You know, Ayesa, I, I the last time I had a serious uh, conversation with Yusek Nikki was Professor Nikki, and you remember Nikki, what we were doing to help the Bangsamoro yes. uh, Development uh, Agency, and we worked. Um, we had a two-day workshop on an, on yes. another complicated issue: land and property rights in the Bangsamoro. So now you're moving from there to the Department of Justice you're dealing with this very heavy problem of uh, trafficking how are you doing with the transition you said Nikki Well it's it's not it's
2: not my first year no I I was here since 2020 I was assistant secretary then for IACA. so there, there's been I've been here for 3 years but it's still, it's, it still doesn't get any easier. The problem of human trafficking is such a, such a big worldwide problem. It's a continuing problem that has to be constantly monitored, constantly addressed. And the challenges just keep getting different. No? I think Dr. Ayasa mentioned earlier how, how traffickers are becoming more ingenious in their modus operandi, which means that we have to adjust as well.
3: We've remained in tier one for a couple yes. of years now. How yes, did the yes. Philippine government manage to move up? Because I remember a time, I think maybe six years ago, that we were slipping to Tier 3. So how, how yes. did you manage
2: that? We've been in Tier 1 for seven consecutive years since 2016. So clearly it wasn't me naman, who who brought us there. Um, My predecessor, C- Undersecretary Emin Aglipay Villar, um, and, and, and one of the pioneer, not the pioneer use sex of at see, under Secretary Jovi Salazar, no? They were the ones who really, really put Iaka together to bring it from tier two, next yes, tier two watch this panga, then eventually to tier one, starting in 2016. But I think the challenge, the challenge now is, is not, say, resting on our laurels, not being content that we attain the tier one status, but making sure that we maintain it. Because maintaining is a different challenge by itself, no, uh, Miss Amina, you mentioned it earlier. You know what the standards of the U.S. State Department is: uh, the the country must demonstrate serious and sustained yeah. efforts to combat human trafficking, and, and which is good in a lot of ways because the, the the standard is not to eradicate human trafficking because I think that's that's next to impossible task, no. As long as there yeah. are vulnerable yeah. people out there, as long as there are. There are bad people out there. Human trafficking will exist. But what's important is that our efforts must be serious. They must be sustained. They must be continuous. They must be comprehensive. And that's what we aim to do. Each and every time we hear of a new modus or if we determine that we are maybe slipping in particular modus in addressing particular modus and in particular areas, we make it a point to to do better or to, to find a way to address that modus. I think it's just about... It's simply about perseverance and determination, um, not, not stopping the fight.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
4: I guess that explains. You Nikki that recently, I think recently in our immig- in the immigration counters in Manila, I think the officers, the immigration officers, have really been doing more interviewing time. Ooh, yes. Anytime yes. that there's a Filipino leaving the airport. Yeah, because yes. I heard of from my family, my, my cousins and auntie who recently visited me in Malaysia, they were really interviewed extensively. Yes. Yeah, so I guess that's one of the um, uh, strategies that you've been doing yeah, in the immigration counters.
2: That is certainly one of our principal strategies to, to minimize or to prevent the trafficking of Filipinos abroad. It's really stricter implementation of what we call the departure formalities, and it's the Bureau of Immigration that is the lead agency that implements that, but with assistance from all the other agencies such as um, IACA, DOJ, the police, the airports. So we we assist the BI there. So of course we we one of the reasons why we decided to become even stricter is I think you mentioned it. Huh? This this modus of human trafficking involving these 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 scam hubs. Yeah. Because the, the target, the target of these traffickers ter- for their victims, for their trafficking victims are not your usual, no longer your usual trafficking victims. Because we are used to our, at least in the Philippines, our typical trafficking victims, especially when ho- those who are trafficked as, let's say, household workers in the Middle East or maybe, um, or maybe fishermen in the Asia Pacific region, they are usually very poor. Sadly, they are uneducated. They display a lot of the traditional vulnerabilities of trafficking victims. But the victims now of the, of the scamming, of the scam hubs across the region, they are usually young, educated, tech-savvy, um, sophisticated. They're multilingual. That's true. So, so the challenge there is that when they, they want to go out, and they usually go out to the country, they pose as tourists, they can easily pass as tourists. Yes. That's why, it, it, that's why immigration was, was really challenged to, to, to be stricter in the implementation of departure formalities, to be stricter with young Filipinos who, who, who are traveling for the first time or who, or who may not, demos- who may not readily demonstrate, um, financial capacity. So, Bureau of Immigration had to go out of their way to, to scrutinize each of these Filipinos who are traveling abroad. Yeah.
3: Oh, by the way, you said Niki, you mentioned about um, changes in the Bureau of Immigrations. I have a little story to tell you. My yes. youngest son has a friend uh, who used to be with the Bureau of Immigrations. And he got so sick and tired about what was going on, he resigned.
0: And mm-hmm. then
3: when changes started happening under the Department of Justice, my son told me that he wants to go back. To the, the Bureau of Immigration. I said, whoa, that's quite a change. So congratulations to the Department wow. of Justice, you say, Thank you,
2: thank you. Thank you very much. No? But it's not just DOJ. We have to hand it to the leadership of Bureau of Immigration under Commissioner Tancinco. They are doing our, truly a good job, No, a, a good job um, yeah. um, revi- um, changing the image of the Bureau of Immigration. And I, I suggest that your, your son's friend do up, does apply because there are plenty of openings now in the Bureau of Immigration. In fact, we just hired a little bit over 100 new immigration officers, and there are maybe another 100 100 to be hired soon. Um, A lot of them have already undergone their training and are being deployed in our different ports. And aside from that, um, there's one, one, um, one measure that the Department of Justice is prioritizing, and this is the passage of the Immigration Modernization Act, which among other things would um rationalize the compensation of our bi employees to to for for them to be properly compensated and reduce the reduce the incentive to to resort to to other means not to be to to earn money
3: ayesa you know what shocked me uh, with the with the news ayesa because we're so used to it? filipino workers going abroad in the millions so it looked like We're not just a labor sending country, but we're also a sending country for traffic victims. And then to learn from the news that we were now also starting to become a hub where traffic victims are received. That that really that really hit me, you said, Nikki. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't believe that we're now transforming ourselves into a receiving country for traffic victims. You said,
4: Nikki, who are these uh, nationalities that are being trafficked to Philippines? Is it mostly the okay. Chinese from mainland China? Uh, no,
2: in, in Clark, in the Clark operation, mm-hmm. which resulted in the rescue of, of more than one thousand one hundred foreign nationals, uh, the biggest yeah. number, the biggest number are Vietnam, Vietnamese, a little bit over three hundred. Oh yeah. And the next are, are yeah. Chinese, around three hundred Indian Chinese. Okay. Indonesians, I think number around a hundred but there are also some there are also malaysians significant number of malaysians um, from from Myanmar Burmese Burmese and then there were some Nepalese, um, a few indian one indian national one moroccan national and and there were also i think six bhutanese they were recruited online to work in a call okay. center uh, work as customer yeah. service representatives in a call center, yeah. uh, but it turns out that when they arrived to the Philippines, arrived in the Philippines, they were brought immediately to, to, the, to the location in, in that instance, they were brought to Clark and they were, it's a big compound, huh? the Clark compound is a huge compound, many buildings, but they, they were, they stayed, huh? they were, they they were they stayed in the compound, they couldn't leave the compound and they were forced to, forced to engage in scamming activities.
3: By the way, you said Nikki, when we're looking at the sectors where the traffic victims come from, we know that um, a lot come from the poorer income groups. But I also understand yeah. that in areas where you have armed conflict or post-conflict uh, situations, you get a lot of traffic victims yes. there. And uh, is that one of the reasons why human trafficking has become rampant in Mindanao? I understand that you had a consultation in the, the Moro Autonomous Region yes. recently.
2: Trafficking victims, what's common to them, are they're all vulnerable. They're all vulnerable to exploitation. The cause for vulnerability can differ, but more often than not, the primary cause is poverty. And if you have war-torn areas or even areas that are that have been subject of natural disaster, uh, one of the immediate results, immediate consequences of that is is poverty. And therefore, vulnerability to human trafficking. And you are correct, Mama that, Amilano, that Mindanao, sadly, because it, it was war torn and parts of it continue to be, um, um, to be beset by armed conflict. Uh, a lot of our, a lot of our nationals there, a lot of the residents there are sadly vulnerable to human trafficking. And clearly for, for and for women, women are more vulnerable to sex trafficking than men.
3: Is, is BARM, um, doing, something aggressive to to prevent at least to educate the people about the well uh, the trauma of uh, of, of trafficking they've,
2: they've certainly started there is this barm um RIAHAT, regional task force against trafficking which is um under control of the barm but on the other hand you have the the task force under doj which has the prosecutors from the doj which is under the supervision of the national government. So we recently constituted that the task force of the DOJ under the regional prosecutor, the Rahaira Lau no? I, I don't know if you know her. Um, she's the regional prosecutor for the barm region. And and yes, we are in the process of strengthening them, organizing them to 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 ensure, to ensure, or at least to make a dent in terms of awareness in terms of counter trafficking activities in the barm region.
3: You know, I yes, uh, a long time ago. When I was chair of the National Youth Commission, and this was a long time ago, you said, Nikki. Um, I I heard about young people who were trafficked and who were, uh, you know, brought to brothels. And um, I'm not sure if it was Pampanga. So one night, um, we had like a little team. And we went there. They made me dress up like a tomboy. And they brought me to, to one of the brothels. And they, the girl that I interviewed came from Cagayan de Oro. So, so locally, we also have this problem. We're not just trafficking them out. They're being trafficked within. So the system that we have in place for uh, the prevention and uh, for running after these traffickers, it's not just concentrated on, uh, you know, traffic victims being brought out, but also traffic victims within the country, right?
2: Yes, human trafficking can happen across borders and within borders. So the example that you gave, which is the trafficking of women in in in, in brothels in the country, trafficking of Filipinas in brothels in the Philippines, that is a very good example of trafficking that happens within borders. Those are those three are just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many other kinds of trafficking, like the ones we mentioned—trafficking of vulnerable individuals in war-torn areas—and and and we do we do hope to be able to address their concern as well.
4: So far, uh, since you've been working on this Iaka, have you um, come up with some of the best practices, you know, in order to manage uh, human trafficking better?
2: One is the. The the practice we already mentioned, which is the strict implementation of departure formalities, where the Bureau of Immigration will truly go out of its way to scrutinize those Filipinos who who are likely to be trafficked, to scrutinize their 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 reason for going abroad and defer their departure if necessary. I think that's one of the one of the practices of the Philippines that has that has prevented a lot of human trafficking. But one of the challenges there is that. Some countries or some individuals might see that as a a limitation or encroachment of individual liberties, particularly the right to travel and the right to, to seek employment abroad. But the Philippines, we in the Philippines, we stand our ground. We're fine. It can be a limitation of the right to travel, but these individual rights, they are subject to limitation on the basis of compelling state interest, and for us, protecting Filipinos from human trafficking is indeed a compelling state interest. So aside from the departure formalities, other best practices is, is how we, we treat our nationals who are trafficked abroad. DFA and DMW go out of their way to to rescue and repatriate Filipinos who are trafficked abroad. And sadly this is not the case for a lot of countries. For some countries they don't consider their nationals who are trafficked abroad as victims. Sometimes they would even consider them as criminals, as in the case of some of the countries you know, that we dealt with here in the in the rescue effort in, in Clark, sadly, um, one of them actually in particular said that those are not victims. Our nationals are not victims. They're actually criminals, and we will not um, spend a spend a cent in their repatriation and rescue. Uh, another good practice is when it comes to prosecution of cases. When it comes to prosecution of cases, we adopted the a vic- a victim-centered approach. So if the child is the complainant. As much as possible, the child will, we, we minimize the need for the child to testify. We try to secure a conviction, relying on evidence other than the testimony of the child. And we also rely on um, plea bargaining, plea bargaining as a tool to expedite the case and dispense with the testimony of the child.
0: Hold up?
4: Yeah, I mean, I remember when we were uh, in Vientiane, Laos last year. Uh, and then um, I I got to meet actually some some friends yeah. there who worked in the NGO and some officials at the Malaysian Embassy. Apparently, that area because from Vientiane you now have that's a get uh, gateway to to China. So you actually have uh, Malaysians, there, young Malaysians who have been. Uh, traffic you know initially yeah. traffic and and uh to, to work uh in chinese uh industries uh, but then as as uh you said you know um for some of these it's really a, a difficult situation because some of these people when they are well they are victims clearly they are victims but when they are rescued by the embassy it is their choice they don't want to go home you know so You know, these kinds of situation of you know trafficking. It's not only in terms of the legal aspect that we can find solutions, but you know, at the same time, it's really about uh, the social consciousness. You know, when people want to find other opportunities,
3: definitely. And um, you know, uh, DSWD, uh, the social social welfare uh, and development department, has a lot to do. With, with that, I just don't know that they are as aggressive, for instance, in uh, doing something about uh, all of these traffic victims. But I was going to ask you, Yusek Niki, because um, I think a week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, President Marcos yes. issued a statement that he wanted uh, yes. IACAT, DOJ, and the other agencies to coordinate their strategies and do more to... Uh, address this issue of uh, human trafficking. Yusigniki, what is the more that President Marcos wants you to do? Well, this was back in March
2: when IACAT had the opportunity to present a situation around human trafficking, particularly the outbound human trafficking of Filipinos in the region, to the president himself. And it was IACAT as well as PAO, the Presidential Anti Organized Crime Commission, who were directed by the president to. Collaborate and intensify our efforts against human trafficking. I think um, there's a lot that's been done, but I think we can still do more. Especially with the with the president himself saying that 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 definitely galvanizes us to do even more. Um, um, Paok has been a very good partner, a very solid partner in this in this directive from the president. In fact, Paok just very recently um, organized a team who went to Thailand. To assist in the repatriation of 18 Filipino victims who were trafficked in Myanmar and brought home via Thailand, and Paok included a prosecutor from the DOJ, um, law enforcers, and lawyers from the DMW, and it was such a, a fruitful, a fruitful event that we were able to take the statements of all those victims. we were able to bring them home, and and now now they are home. We have the statements ready and. Ready to file a case against the traffickers here in the Philippines.
3: But what does civil society do to help uh, Iyakat? Is there a civil society representative on Iyakat?
2: Yeah, we have three. The council,
3: well, the, three.
2: the law requires that there be three NGO representatives, NGO members of Iyakat, representing sec- the children's sector, the women's sector, and the OFW sector. The, the, agency, the NGO from the OFW sector is the one you mentioned, the Blas Ophle Policy Center, representing children is the International Justice Mission, and representing women is CAPWAP. So each of these, and, but it's not just these NGOs that contribute in the fight against human trafficking. We have so many other NGO partners, while they are not members of IACAT, they are, they are very solid partners, very very good partners in the fight against human trafficking. Or constant, consistently there in our, in, 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 any of our efforts against human trafficking. A good example is IJM. It was IJM who actually crafted one of our very new laws against online sexual abuse and exploitation of children. They, they originated that law and it's just refined by different DWGs and in Congress and it's now law. And IJM continues to collaborate with IACAT in terms of, um, policy reform. One thing that we're doing right now with IGM is the hopefully the, the, the enactment of an ordinance. Or no, not sorry, not an ordinance, but an issuance from prosecution as well as from courts that talk about um, video in-depth interview when it comes to children victims, child victims. Because these video in-depth interviews, they're very good for child victims in the sense that it makes it easier for them to share their story And it minimizes re-traumatization for the children. On the operational level, NGOs again contribute because more often than not, operations, rescue operations, or search warrant implementations would involve coordination between law enforcement, prosecution, and NGOs. And finally, when it comes to um, aftercare, aftercare of victims, NGOs again play a very key role. So I, I cannot I cannot underscore how important yeah. NGOs are in the fight against human trafficking.
3: Yeah, I'm so happy that we're in the Philippines where uh, NGOs, civil society, are actually treated like partners. Because as you know very well, Ayesa, in some of our uh, friends, no, our friends in some of the ASEAN mm-hmm. member states, remember, they mm-hmm. they're begging yeah. that their governments treat them like allies, not Threats. So it's great to hear Yusek Niki talking about the important role that civil society can play in uh, you know, preventing human trafficking and uh, rehabilitating traffic victims.
4: Just uh, wanted to also to share like uh, in Malaysia, in Sabah for one, you know, we have a lot of all these undocumented uh, populations. And and we actually also have some cases of unaccompanied and separated children. So these are uh, children normally in their teenage years who have crossed the borders from Mindanao, from the areas of Mindanao, entering Saba. So when you look at the the legal framework, actually they can, you know, you you can also put them as as, uh, victims of human trafficking. But then it's not as easy as that. You know because of certain circumstances that the children were forced to cross in order perhaps to uh, reunite with families who are already living in Sabah. so it's a complex issue you know on the other hand about what we deal with in in Sabah Malaysia and I think even the Philippine embassy in Kuala Lumpur is still also trying to find its ways, you know how to address you know the complexity of undocumented uh, Filipinos in, in Saba. But I wanted to ask you, Ni- Nikki in the IAPAT uh, work, how, is this issue also being tackled? The issue of undocumented Filipinos in Saba?
2: Yes. Uh, the the Saba, Saba concern is definitely one of the issues that's on the radar of um, On Lack of documentation is another, another vulnerability to exploitation for human trafficking. And to top it all off, uh, the, the, most of these, these undocumented Filipinos, they're undocumented because they're poor. Because they're they're not they're not on the radar. They are they've somehow fallen fall they slip slip from slip through the cracks in this in the system. And that makes them very vulnerable to human trafficking. Um, very recently when um to I mean mention that I was in Zamboanga recently for a, for a, for a conference with our, with our barn prosecutors. And we took the opportunity to to visit the Zambanga port. And we went and when we went to Zambuanga port, it so happened that there was a, a mass repatriation of Filipinos from, from Saba or, or a mass um mass transfer of Filipinos from Saba. And saw them there. And the stories that I heard from the BI employees who were processing them were really heartbreaking. Because some of these Filipinos have actually lived in Saba for a significant period of years. They've had work there. They've had family there. And some of them were were apprehended and and detained for maybe one to five years um, before they were transferred back to the Philippines. Some of them have nothing in the Philippines, nothing to do in the Philippines because for most of their life, they, they've been in Saba. Some of them were even born in Saba. So it's one of these really big, big problems that we need to deal with and it's complicated it, 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 and it's made complicated by um, the diplomatic issue that sadly is entangled with entangled with the plight of our Filipinos, our, our, our fellow Filipinos in Saba. Um, one of the, one of the ways that we, we hope to maybe mitigate the Saba concern yes. is to, is to strengthen our, our, Uh, strengthen our um, protection in the so-called back door. So that's one of the reasons why I went to Zamboanga a few weeks ago, to meet not just with the Zamboanga Task Force, but also with the BARM Task Force, because we have to coordinate the different stakeholders in the region, Zamboanga, the different agencies, such as um, Immigration, um, the Coast Guard, to ensure that we can better prevent um, the trafficking of Filipinos from from Zamboanga and Tawi-Tawi to Saba and then to the rest of the world?
4: We had, you know, exciting discussion this morning, but we cannot keep uh, Yusek Niki too long. I'm sure he needs to go back to his meetings and to find more solutions, especially on these issues on human trafficking in the Philippines. So thank you so much, um, Yusek Niki. But before you go, Maybe you'd like to give us some more uh, message, you know, in terms of what can we do as part of civil society groups, the media, uh, NGOs, and for academics who will be interested to work with uh, IYAKAT. Uh, is it IYAKAT? Yeah.
2: Just a very brief message. Uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your, your program, to your podcast, and it's programs like this that that foster awareness of this problem of human trafficking. I think it was mentioned earlier that uh, the problem of human trafficking seems to be brought to the limelight intermittently, like uh, after a year or after a couple of months. But it doesn't mean that it, it goes away. It's a consistent, constant problem, sadly. And that's brought about by the fact that just so many people who are vulnerable to human trafficking. So if there's one thing that I can request from 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 our very gracious hosts as well as our listeners, as to be an advocate against human trafficking, foster awareness of this problem of human trafficking, so it's constantly in the limelight and constantly in our in our in our in our in our, in our awareness. So that's all.
3: Thanks so much, Yusek Niki. Our dear listeners, uh, you've heard um, tireless worker in our Philippine government who's trying his level best to do something about this modern-day scourge, uh, uh, modern-day slavery. And I do hope, wherever you are, that you can do something as well to maybe help educate your neighbors, uh, especially those who you think are itching for a better way of life and are prey to the lure of these uh, traffickers who are so savvy. At using uh, the internet in, uh, you know, enticing people, especially the young, to come for for a job that they think is going to lift them out of poverty or out of the conflict area. So please, please be aware and do listen to the message of uh, uh, Under Secretary Nikki T of the Department of Justice of uh, the Philippines. So thank you so much, Yusek Niki. Thank you, dear listeners, for staying with us for this episode. I hope you learned as much as I did about what we can all do to help end this uh, scourge of modern-day slavery. Ayessa?
4: And uh, Amina, let's not forget to invite our listeners to also send their comments. Uh, any questions or suggestions for future episodes of She Talks Peace, and they can send us an email at she podcast at gmail dot com. And I think we also have, uh, we do have uh, an Instagram, right, and Twitter, because I don't use these social media platforms. Do you have, do you have these I mean, Yeah, <laughs> but we will welcome all our viewers to send us uh, some messages on our social media. So until next time, this is She Talks Peace and this is Ayasa, and we're saying goodbye for now. Until next time, bye,
1: Amina. Thank you, Yusek Niki.
2: Thank you, thank bye, you. Bye, 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 Amina. Bye, bye Ayasa. Thank you.
1: She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information. Check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program or other programs of the network.